Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can, but can he save the franchise that had to be rebooted two times? Find out today on the Politipop Podcast. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. Today's episode, our review of Spider-Man Homecoming. Who's our? Well, of course, your regular host, Mike Booch. And I'm sitting here with my co-host today, my brother from another mother, one of my best buddies in the entire world. Let's be real. The best buddy, right? Yeah. Okay. Your friendly neighborhood, Ty. Give him a nice little hello, Ty. Hey, guys. So before we get started, uh, this is going to be more of a review of the film. We're going to talk about some political aspects, some social aspects, how it plays out in today's world. But moreover, before anything else, we're comic book fans, right? Absolutely. Uh, so really quick, how long have you been in love with Spider-Man? Is it fair to me to assume that you've been in love with Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, he was probably one of the first comic book superheroes that I really, really fell in love with. Uh, as a kid, I read a lot of Spider-Man, usually Spider-Man, X-Men, some Batman. And even as an adult, I really uh, stayed pretty current with Spider-Man for many years. Dropped out for a little bit and just started getting back into it again now. So, uh, Well, now's a good time, yeah, right? Yeah, now's a great time. Uh, I think that says a lot. Uh, same thing for me. Uh, Marvel as a kid. Marvel is always great for kids. And then a little bit later on, you get into your DC when shit starts to get really dark yeah. in your life. <laughs> like in your teens, you get into DC. Nope. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Spider-Man has always been a, a huge part of my life as well uh father got me into comic books one of the favorites uh was was always spider-man so first of all uh, the movie spider-man homecoming what did you think of it i thought it was if not the best definitely the second best spider-man film we've ever had okay uh, it's up there with spider-man 2 for me there we go same uh, <laughs> i think it's definitely one of marvel's best films i think most people i've spoken to have put it in their top five uh, i think it really broke the formula of the other marvel movies and I think it still made it really accessible for newcomers. Yeah, that's a really great way of going about it. I mean, I brought my girlfriend to see it, and she is not a huge comic book person, but uh, she enjoyed it for what it was. She didn't see Civil War either, uh, but uh, because a lot of people are looking forward to it after seeing Civil War. Yeah. Uh, and looking forward to this new Spider-Man, who's really not a man at all. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, I would, I would definitely say that I... It's it's up there with Spider Man two for me. I know that when we spoke privately, I felt I, I made it seem like there was a lot lacking from it, and that's not the kind of review that I want to give. I thought it was an incredible film, but there are some parts that I I I just think they could have done a little more with, and there's some parts that I think were fucking amazing overall. Yeah. Definitely uh, some flaws, but it it was uh you said overall it was a really good film. So first off, one of the things that I think made this film great were the actors. What did you think about their portrayals on on screen? Uh, obviously, you know Tom Holland was a great lead. Uh, he's a young kid, hasn't been in a whole lot of stuff. I think that's great. Uh, he's not an established actor, which they've kind of done with the other Spider-Man films just a little bit. But um, I think he was a great, great Peter Parker, uh, and also the Vulture. I think that 
getting Michael Keaton, who has been Batman and Birdman and uh, has done some comic book stuff, and he just brings a great uh, aura to his his character. And I think that even though maybe Vulture wasn't as fleshed out as he could have been, he did a really good job with uh, with the portrayal of him. Yeah, I, I I never liked the vulture in the comics or the sh- or or the cartoons or anything. I think that Keaton's portrayal really made him accessible, and you knew what his motivations were. And one thing I love most is a justified villain. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think he was completely justified in at least what got him into villainy. Which before we <laughs> keep going with this. Uh, major spoilers abound. This is a not a spoiler for your view. There's going to be spoilers all over. We're going to talk about this storyline up and down, actors, characters, whatever. Ty, is Tom Holland Peter Parker? Yes. I, I think 100% yes. I think for the first time in all three Spider-Man uh, films, different series that we've had, that he is 100% the Peter Parker. Do you think he's the Spider-Man? Yeah, I do. Really? I, do. I think be, he's brought something that to Spider-Man that none of the other actors brought. And he's funny. Uh, he's kind of awkward, which I think is something that Spider-Man's always had. He's never been the perfect hero. Mm-hmm. You know, Batman's always so fluid and, and cool. And Spider-Man's not really. He makes a lot of mistakes. He tries to use banter to hide his mistakes. And I think that's something that Tom Holland's done a really good job with. Uh, which I, I don't think Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire really did much of. I mean, I a lot of people had problems with the the other portrayals of Spider-Man. At the time when I was, how old were we when the first Spider-Man movie came out? Like 12 years old? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't find a problem with Tobey Maguire, but now like we are the same age as those people, so yeah. it's a little weird to see them in those roles. I definitely think that Holland pulled off Peter Parker, uh, the way in which he, not in which the way he portrayed Spider-Man, the way in which he portrayed Spider-Man was great. I think story-wise, Spider-Man wasn't really Spider-Man. Okay, I see what you're saying. Until until a little bit later on. And that's okay, because even without giving us an origin story, they didn't show us how he got his powers, but they did show us how he became Spider-Man. Yes. Uh, I Now, that being said, I didn't really have a problem with the other two Spider-Man. The, the amazing Spider-Mans, I think Andrew Garfield was he he was not Peter Parker by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, Peter Parker, the the you know the sexy high school graduate. No, that's he not. He was like the, he was a hipster. Not, you know, he was cool yes. and kind of emo, and he had a skateboard and he stood up for the kids getting bullied. That's not Peter Parker. Peter Parker's the kid that gets bullied. You know, and later on uses that to protect people as Spider Man. And I think they. I don't think it's Andrew Garfield's fault. I think it's the way they wrote the character. I, I, I agree 100%. And especially him and Emma Stone's chemistry on the screen was Absolutely. amazing. Uh, for obvious reasons, because yeah. they were together in real life. But that was awesome. Spider-Man 2 will always be in my top 10 films. Not Marvel films, not superhero films. Top 10 films ever. We saw that together in theaters, didn't we? We did, yes. We were 13 years old. With my aunt. Yes, who brought popcorn into the theater. Uh, she popped the popcorn at home, put it in her bag, and then... <laughs> Listen, man, movie tickets are expensive. The, they, we thought they were expensive then, at Elwood, <laughs> of all places. It was discounted movie theater. Yeah, uh, they're, they're astronomical now. Uh, but yeah, I thought that that was... Um, 
the the moment itself was great. Remember, I wouldn't shut up throughout the whole film. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> talked. Mike was uh, was definitely the guy who talked through movies for most of our childhood and and young adulthood. <laughs> adulthood. <laughs> but but Spider Man Two definitely. Uh, it was kind of the peak of Spider Man. I think in a lot of ways they really hit on what made the character uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, I think overall, just as a film, it was very very strong. A lot of adult themes that I think we didn't come to appreciate till later, even though we enjoyed it as That's kids. That's very true. There's no, like when you're a kid and you're watching, you're like, oh, Spider-Man's got to pay rent. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. But when you watch as an adult, you're like, oh, my fucking God. Like, don't worry about being a superhero, man. you got a job. Like, I wouldn't blame you for delivering pizza all the time and not being Spider-Man. Can you imagine going out after work and having to go rescue people? I'm exhausted. No, I want to go watch TV. It's and, the worst. And drink and, and eat. I don't want to go. I'm like, you know, let me go save the, the neighborhood till midnight. And like, no, I got work in the morning. It's, it's absolutely true. He's my hero, man. <laughs> <laughs> he is, even more so. Before we finish comparing the actors' portrayals of Spider-Man, I think there's one other thing that's very important to compare between all the actors, and what is that? That would be salary. Uh, Tobey Maguire was only paid $4 million for the first film. He did get a lot more for the second with $17.5 million, plus 5% on the back end. And his negotiations for Spider-Man 3 were $15 million with 7.5% on the back end. Which, uh, like, like I said, $4 million for the first movie doesn't seem like a lot. But Andrew Garfield was only given uh, 500000 for his betrayal. Which is... Ooh. Come on, Spider-Man, you know it's going to make money. That's, that's pretty that's awful. Rough. I think that's a, a bit of a slap in the face. But now, that was his portrayal for the first uh, Amazing Spider-Man there are no numbers for the second one. I guess they learned a lesson on not letting Yeesh, that come out. Uh, yeah. I mean, without a doubt, he definitely made more. Uh, he definitely made some more money for that second one, but they don't know what it is. And Tom Holland's numbers haven't come out yet. Uh, I mean, I, w- I would think, even though he's a new actor, Marvel pays pretty well. I mean, they paid $40 million to Robert Downey Jr. to be in Civil War, was what I was reading. Yeah. Even though he's a big actor. And, how, and, like, and when you think of, uh, I don't know the numbers exactly, but to think of... He, Definitely got more than Tom Holland in Homecoming. Yeah, oh, absolutely. To absolutely. launch Spider-Man. But they did give Tom Holland a six-movie contract. Ooh. So, I mean, you know, he knows he's making money, whereas I think these other Spider-Man actors were going in not knowing what was going to happen. Especially Tobey Maguire. I mean, this is one of the first major Spider-Man film uh, or major comic book films ever made, and he's getting paid $4 million. He's probably pretty happy with that, not knowing what he was... Oh, missing out on. Oh, as far as Tobey Maguire goes, yeah, there weren't. There was no Marvel universe for him to be in. Nope. Uh, I, I think that those movies they play a very important part because they allowed a jumping-off point for the future films. Yeah. Although Amazing Spider-Man Two didn't really learn the lesson from Spider-Man Three, and and decided to throw a shitload of villains into the film, anyways. Yep. Uh, but it's because of those movies that Spider-Man: Homecoming is able to exist. Exactly, and, uh, and they took their time. I mean, they didn't really take their time because it was it was so it's it's quick after the other Spider Mans technically, but they took their time in putting him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think that was a good idea. Speaking of learning lessons, do you think that compared to the other Spider Man stories, they've learned a lesson, and has it shown in this film? Yeah, this is Marvel's first attempt at doing a Spider Man movie, and I think that they saw how the Amazing Spider Man two, how Spider Man three, just really dropped yeah. the ball, you know. The first two Spider-Man films were, were very successful. The third one was awful, right? And I, I think most people critically, fans, all like hated it. Yeah. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man series. And they, they had, I think, very similar 
themes and problems. They, they tried to do too much. And I think with mm-hmm. Homecoming, they, they knew they didn't have to do a whole lot, right? The Vulture is a very low-key kind of villain. Uh, this is more about Peter Parker, and he's just trying to kind of figure out where he is. He's not trying to save the world. He's just trying to be a hero uh, and find his way in the world, you know? And, and I think by taking that approach, they were able to make a really, really solid intro film for him. Uh, I think so, too. Like I said before, I think that they gave us the origin of how he became Spider-Man, not how he got his powers, which are two very different things. And I think that that was something that I had to get used to. It's kind of yeah. the big problem that people had with um, with Man of Steel. Like, they were pissed that he wasn't being Superman in that movie. I was pissed that he wasn't being Spider-Man in this movie. And I'll explain how. He had the suit. He had the webs. He had the humor and everything. But... The mantra is always, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. At no point was he responsible until the end of the film. I think this is what they were going for. I mean, I, I think throughout the film, you t- see him trying too hard. Right? He's trying to prove to Tony, you know, look, I- I'm an Avenger too. I- I'm a superhero, and he- he's trying so hard to do it. He is trying hard to do that. But the thing that I got from the other Spider-Man films, and not just the films, but the whole lore of Spider-Man, is that being Spider-Man is an escape for him. And whereas he was a good Peter Parker, I think the story surrounding Peter Parker wasn't as flushed out as it could be. His life didn't seem to be too bad, and there didn't seem to really be anything that he was trying to escape from. And I know earlier I referenced Tobey Maguire having to pay rent. That's something that a lot of people can relate to. A lot of people have also said, oh, well, I want to see Peter Parker in high school. I want to see him in high school. After this film, I concluded, I don't give a fuck about him in high school. There was nothing that happened in high school that I felt was of any importance up until Homecoming. I I see what you're saying, but you said that you always looked at Spider-Man as an escape for him. Yes. To me, that's Batman. Spider-Man's whole thing is that with or without that suit, he's the same person, right? He's the same person as Peter Parker or Spider-Man. He's a good person. He's a smart person. He's a funny guy, and he's always going to do the right thing. And it doesn't change no matter what he looks like, what he's wearing, what he's doing. And I think with this movie, they were trying to show you he was trying to be a hero that he wasn't. He was trying too hard, and he was losing the things that made him Peter Parker. He didn't care about his grades anymore. He didn't care so much about his mm-hmm. friends. And the thing with Spider-Man is he tries to juggle all that, and he fails all the time, yes. right? But he does care about that just as much. He just knows that his responsibility is to save people. And so, yes, at the end, when he's going to homecoming, that's when he has to make a choice. He finally got the girl he wanted. He's going to have this great dance that he was going to go to. But he chose to be the hero. And I think that was their intention all along. I would respectfully disagree. I think it is an escape for him because, at least in high school, he's the guy that's always getting picked on. And guess what? He can't fight back. We've seen that multiple times when he does, it puts the eye on him. He can't have that eye on him. Even in this movie, we see him doing sit-ups, and he's not even thinking about how many he's doing. And Hannibal Burris, the gym teacher, is like, oh, good job, Peter. And he's like, oh, shit. And he has to catch himself there. Uh, Or or he he said in Civil War, I would love to play football, but that's not the person that I I am. I didn't play football before. Uh, the, The idea is that he always has to keep himself so in check in order to keep the eyes off of him. You've heard the new Chainsmokers song, something just like this? I haven't, but 
Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, in, in the beginning, it's talking about different heroes, and it talks about Achilles and Hercules, and it says Spider-Man's control is a big part of that because that's really, that's that's who he is. And, and no matter what crazy shit is coming his way, uh, he always decides to, to, to kind of let it hit him in a way. It, he could pay his rent easily because he has superpowers. He could, science hits everyone in Manhattan in the Spider-Man universe and they always use it to become a supervillain. He's the only one that doesn't. Uh, and and whereas he may he might not be able to 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 pay his rent he might not be able to to escape his crappy job he can always go out and and uh, and and swing swing away his his day and once again that Spider Man as an adult though Peter Parker as a kid doesn't have to worry about that and so that part of it I am, I am glad that we got to see that but what's the big thing uh, with with Peter Parker in high school he gets bullied a lot uh, he doesn't really have any friends. This that didn't seem to be the case. Uh, there's a lot of criticisms of the Amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield, but do you remember the point where he's holding that car on the bridge? Yes. And he gives the kid his mask, and he says, "Put on the mask. It's going to make you strong." So the kid could climb. That moment was awesome to me because that's exactly who Peter is. He's a weak little bitch, and Spider-Man. <laughs> and Spider-Man is is what makes him strong. I honestly think a lot of what we're seeing too is is the difference in generations. I mean, I I think Spider Man when he first started was bullying was more like yeah let's beat him up and and give him a wedgie and throw him in the toilet. Today it's not like that. It, it's more uh, at parties and social media and and things like that. And I think their approach with the bullying was more generational. He wasn't beating him up every day. He was putting him down and. and like they were both in the uh, the club together, right? So yes. I mean, he's a smart bully, and I think it just shows that as times change, the way Spider Man's affected changes too. And that's an awesome awesome observation. I had it in my notes too that bullying has changed. It may not be someone because honestly, if a bully was to beat the shit out of Peter Parker today, he'd be suspended. They'd catch that shit right yeah, away. Exactly. They had a zero tolerance policy. But I've also seen thirteen reasons why. I know that bullying can be an awful lot worse than just him saying, I say penis, you say Parker, penis, Parker. You know, like a big a big part of Spider-Man is that when he's when he's taking on these bad guys, he he sees that Flash Thompson. He see he sees those bullies. Also, let let's go into his into his personal life. There wasn't a mention of Uncle Ben at any point. All all he did was he he told Ned Leeds, he said, Oh, you know what's going on lately with Aunt May? I think that, that was a good move on them. I think it was intentional. I think almost everyone knows Spider-Man's story. I, I, we said it earlier. Uh, Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man, was one of the first major comic movies. It did really well at the box office. It spawned two sequels, two more remakes, and hell, another one. And I think that means every generation has had a Spider-Man. Everyone's probably been exposed to it in some way. He's also just one of the most popular heroes. I mean, he had a cartoon series when we were kids in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, his comic books have always done really well. I think people know his background, and Marvel knew they didn't want to stick with that formula of giving him the basic intro like Doctor Strange did and all these other films, and they wanted to give him something different. Well, they didn't have to give him that origin mm-hmm. specifically, but I don't. I think you see his motivations. Re- original Spider-Man is you, okay? Tom Holland Spider-Man is me. The other Spider-Man, he lives for other people. He lives for his Uncle Ben's memory and for Aunt May and trying to make things better. 
I, I always grew up as a very selfish person, and that seemed to be where Peter was. There was no problem that happened in this movie that he didn't cause himself. The, uh, the, he, you know, he was messing around with the guys at the ATM, and he blew up his favorite bodega. Uh, he almost blew up the Washington Monument by letting his best friend hold a Chitauri grenade and, uh, and not getting back. And luckily, he did get back in time to save them, but he had that heroic moment because he created that strife. And then... The whole situation with the Staten Island Ferry, he was put there. And it's I, I love the idea of Spider-Man taking on things that are larger than he is. But let's compare it to spider We're going to do a lot of comparisons, I guess, to the other films. Yeah, I mean, how can you not? Yeah, <laughs> but in Spider-Man 2, the reason uh, Toby had to, stop that, uh, had to stop that subway car was because Doc Ock removed the brakes. Yep. That was someone else's uh, deal. And, uh, and, and Spider-Man was the one that had to stop it. And this, he, every problem he created himself. Which isn't, it's, it's not necessarily the Spider-Man I'm used to. And I don't doubt for a second that in the sequel, they're going to do a lot better. That he's going to know a lot more. He's going to be a lot more responsible. Now, do was, you think <clears throat> that Tony Stark kind of created that problem? By making him think that he was bigger than he really was. Because he, you know, he started out as a street-level hero. And Tony Stark saw that, decided to steal him to fight Captain America and the Avengers. And he gave him these uh, delusions of grandeur. And, and now... Spider-Man says, well, I don't need to do this stuff anymore. I'm an Avenger. And that's why he was trying so hard. So I, I think you can put some of the blame on Tony Stark's character. I think you can totally put the blame on Tony Stark. And, and that's a big part of it because I guess, I guess what we're seeing is the high school Peter Parker. And in the original comics, we were always used to that responsible Peter Parker. But in real life, that's not necessarily how a 15-year-old's going to behave. I'm not saying it was a bad move on their part. It's just something I'm not particularly used to. Another thing that people forget when they're always like, oh, I want to see Peter Parker in high school. I want to see Peter Parker in high school. By issue 30 of the original Amazing Spider-Man run, he was already out of high school. He yeah. already graduated. He met Gwen Stacy and Harry Osborn in college. The only one that he knew from high school that went to the same college as him was Flash. Story-wise, I want to talk about uh, some of my favorite parts. Once again, I don't think he really became Spider-Man until Homecoming. He didn't become Spider-Man until uh, until he got that suit taken away because he got to live that life as a kid. He got to pl- build Legos with his best friend, and he got to... He, 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 got to uh, he got to go to the dance with the girl and everything. But in that moment, he knew that there was something that he was able that he would have been able to stop. And like he said in Civil War, if the bad things happen and you have the power to stop them, it's your fault if you let them happen. That was an awesome moment when he talked to Liz and he said, you don't deserve this. And it wasn't just that you don't deserve to have me walk out on you in this dance. It's I'm go- Either way, this isn't going to go well for you. I'm going to expose your father and that's going to ruin your life. Who knows what's going to happen when I fight him? That'll ruin your life. Everything, all that weight and responsibility that finally came down on him and and he became Spider-Man in that moment. I think that the, the, the last act of the film was my favorite. There were awesome moments beforehand, but just story wise, I kept getting so frustrated <laughs> and it's because he's a kid. And I was, I was like, I was like, why the fuck are you making all these problems for yourself? Things just kept getting worse and worse. And honestly, that's really great telling uh, storytelling on their part. Yeah. Definitely. That I was so invested, in, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, what, 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 what did you think? What were some of your favorite moments of the film? Uh, some of my favorite moments? I, I actually enjoyed the fairy scene a lot because it, it showed that he was in way over his head. And I think Tony taking away the suit was great. It was, it was a great moment. Like you said, that, that really made 
him start becoming a kid again and eventually led to him becoming Spider-Man and realizing that there were more important things. Um, obviously, I agree with you. The last act was the strongest. There was definitely... I didn't have a, a particular problem with a lot of the story. Uh, my issues were with the Vulture a little bit, though. What we really? did enjoy... Yeah, I did enjoy okay. him. Um, what did you think of the twist that he was the father? I thought it was great. It was a good twist. It, I could see people being a little frustrated by it because it's a little shoehorned in. You know, oh, look, it's all connected. Yeah. One, just a separate character. But it, and it in every worked. movie, Peter is always directly connected to yeah, every I mean, they villain. They did this in the original Spider-Man with uh, Harry and Norman Osborn. Harry and Norman which Osborn. was from the comics, but yes. it, was, it was... So I, I kind of thought of that. But and it, I it definitely that, built the suspense, which was great. Yeah, and I also like that when he decided he wasn't going to do anything dealing with Spider-Man, his Spider-Man life comes back to hit him right in the face, and he's like, yes. fuck. Yes. Now, they, they made Vulture in the very beginning justified. Like I think you said yes. this earlier. He was justified... It made him feel like he was he was doing this for for reasons because he was not being treated correctly by the government by by everyone around him. But what were his motivations later on? I mean, he became very cold, very calculating. He didn't really show that he cared about his family. So I lost a little bit of that. You know, they didn't they didn't keep up that idea of you know he's really keeping his family together. I think that was kind of a missed opportunity on their part. That's true. I well, I was going to talk about it a little later, but since you brought it up now, the vulture. Adrian Toomes. He, I think he represents that person that's from a bit of an older generation. Uh, that's that's more of a kind of work with your hands, trade, uh, do the right thing. Uh, you can make a deal with a handshake uh, generation. You could tell even at the beginning when he was looking at the drawing that that kid made of the Avengers, he said, oh, what is this? I used to draw cowboys and Indians. And the tinkerer who's right next to him is like, actually, it's Native American, sir. Yeah. It doesn't really make him a bad guy. It just means that his 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 generation is different. Do you think that the vulture would have been someone who who would have voted for Trump in this last election? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, why? Uh, because he's part of that generation that Trump spoke to, of middlemen. You know, not not rich, not, not some poor, but some people right in the middle who felt like they've been left behind. Uh, they had a good career. They were the typical American dream they were living, and that's been stolen from them. Those jobs that they had worked in all their lives are taken away. Uh, you know, they're trying to support their families, and they're just being left behind by the new generation. And I think that's happened to a lot of people in America, and I think that's where they were kind of going with his character. In some places, there I, I agree with you, because he is that that person who's kind of like, listen, jobs are going. I've been promised that my jobs are going to come back and I'll be able to take care of my family. But also, in a lot of ways, the Donald Trump of the Marvel Universe is Tony Stark. Okay. Because he told Peter, he said, these rich guys, the, you know, Tony Stark, they don't care about us. They don't care about the little guy like you and me. So I wonder, would he have not voted for him because of the elitist ideals that, that he represents? Or would he voted for him for that job security? In this way, he found a way to make his own, his own way. I think he would have voted for him because the thing with Trump is, I mean, it's an argument a lot of liberals have used, is he is the rich guy. He's the guy that's not going to take care of you. But people who voted for him didn't look at that. They didn't believe that. They looked at him as a guy who worked his way up. Who <laughs> They do. If you, if you talk to most, I mean, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but a lot of the Trump supporters that I've talked to, you know, they feel like, yeah, you know, he took he, he took his career, he looked at what he did, he built a, a whole empire. 
you know, and and I think Tony Stark is Trump esque, but he's 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 different. You know, he's um. Well, he uh, he turned a, he turned over a leaf after he had some suffering in his life. Yeah, but otherwise, I think he would have been on the exact same path. He took something that his father gave him, used it to make money, hurt a lot of people in doing so. Trump's of course uh, of course isn't a weapons dealer, but a lot of the little guys got screwed over in, in various jobs for him and at Trump University and stuff like that. So yeah, I, if he was personally affected by Trump, then I think he wouldn't have voted for him. <laughs> But I think he was he's definitely a demographic that did. Now, I, I actually did a little bit of research into seeing what the status of construction jobs is in uh, in the United States and in New York City. So. In 2016. In July 2016, there were two hundred thirty eight thousand construction jobs available in the United States. In May of 2017, that number fell to 154,000, which is ridiculous. That's uh, is that having it? No, not exactly, but but it's 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 quite a chunk out. In New York City, the average number of construction workers soared to 146,200 last year, marking the first time employment in the city has exceeded. 140,000 in at least four decades. So just just to compare that a little bit, New York City has 146,200 construction workers out of 154,000 in the United States. Wow. So from, from these stats, New York City has the majority of those construction workers, but still there are so many jobs that they're spread very, uh, that, that they're actually spread spread thin. Yeah. That they have to turn down certain things. Uh, I don't think necessarily that that's the same case with Adrian Toomes. He wasn't exactly a construction worker, but there there are a, a number of of people who are who who have lost jobs, and Adrian Toomes was one of them. Obviously, because damage control came in and took and took control of things, took control of the damage. What's interesting about that is, unlike a lot of people, I think today in America. He took this new generational thing that's happening and he used it to his advantage, right? Which you don't see a lot. So he was like, you know what? You're going to take the job away from me? He took his crew. They started stealing this equipment and they manufactured advanced weapons. He made an advanced suit. So he was able to kind of use technology to his advantage, even though it was an illegal activity, which I, I thought was kind of a cool way to take it. Well, it's a very cool way. And I just thought of it this morning that... Peter is a lot wittier than we thought because Adrian Toomes wasn't called the vulture just because he could fly. What do vultures do? Uh, yes. They pick off the remains and they use it to survive, and that's exactly what he did. Every single thing that happened in the Marvel Universe, the Chitauri invasion, uh, the Sokovia attack with Ultron, the Triskelion thing when S.H.I.E.L.D. went rogue, uh, Civil War. Did anything bad happen in Civil War? I think yeah. they kept all that... Oh, um, no, they kept all that damage in uh, Germany, <laughs> in the German airport. That's true. Uh, but, but everything, they were able to go in and pick, off and pick up the little pieces, and nobody even knew that they were doing it, which was, which was incredible. And, and he, so you're right, he does, he does show a little bit of evolution in being that vulture and picking off those technologies and using it to make, uh, to make a living for himself and for his family, which really was the whole thing. 
Adrian Toomes just wanted a bite of the American dream. And he figured he worked hard enough and, and it was something that, that he deserved. But the road to hell is paved with good intentions, as they say. It, he got he got in too deep. He got too involved. And eventually it wasn't enough to just have a home and food on the table for his family. He wanted a nice place out in the suburbs, away from all that noise. You know what? Maybe he'll also get a Jaguar while he's at it. Speaking of Vulture, I think we should definitely take a look at some of the other uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe villains and some of the Spider-Man villains. Where do you think he ranks up there for Marvel films? Oh, for, for Marvel films, I, I think he's definitely up there because you have, um, let's say you have Winter Soldier, who his motivation, he was a great character, but his motivation is that he was brainwashed. You have uh, Obadiah or whatever his name was from the first Iron Man. He was just greedy. He was already rich and he wanted more. Uh, you have Whiplash from the second Iron Man movie who was someone that Tony Stark kind of screwed over. Uh, so his, I, I, I don't think his execution was great. I thought his motivation was fine, but a lot of people hate Tony Stark. You could keep coming up with villains that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even in the third movie, it was another guy that was just a little nerd, and Tony was like, fuck you, and he's like, oh, just you wait, I'm going to become a villain. That's why I think in Civil War, Tony created like 50 other supervillains <laughs> because he basically went to every scientific genius at MIT and was like, all your projects are funded, Fuck whatever they are. <laughs> and now who knows yep. that 10 years from now, they're not going to be like, when Tony Stark gave me a grant to fund my, you know, turning babies into grenades project, everyone told me I was crazy. <laughs> but now I'm baby boomer. <laughs> Boom. Nice. That's Perfect. I just came up with that. That's it was awesome, one. right? I mean, most Marvel Cinematic Universe villains are just forgettable. No one really thinks Ultron about Ultron also, them. right? Yeah. He, he didn't... He was halfway because the whole point of Ultron is that his goal is to protect humanity. And he saw that the biggest danger to humanity was itself. And that's why he's supposed to kill it. Whereas James Spader's version. Wasn't that. No, he was just <laughs> like, he spent five minutes on the internet and was like, huh, guess I got to kill everyone now. Loki's the best, but he's not even, I wouldn't even really call him a villain. I mean, he's, he's kind yeah. of back and forth, you know. He does his own thing, but he's helped out Thor when he needs to. And he's not really out there to murder everybody in the whole world. Uh, so I think Vulture was definitely one of the better ones. He was a little more fleshed out. They didn't kill him at the end, so he's still around, which is great. Yes. Which I want to talk about in a, in a little bit as well. But while we're talking about the other villains, let's go Spider-Man uh, cinematic villains. Yeah. Green Goblin. He was uh, actually another guy who was out of a job, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You're out, Osborne. <laughs> I think he's a good villain. He was a little over the top if you go back and watch it now. He yeah, well. I mean, part of it is, you know, Willem Dafoe definitely made some interesting choices, but another part of it is that's Raimi. Yeah. That's Sam Raimi. I wouldn't doubt for a second that that's, that's what he asks for. You could totally, especially going back now, now that I know different filmmakers and their styles, that whole, the whole trilogy is 100% Raimi. It's very corny yeah. and everything, and some parts of it, they hit that so well. I really, I really like them. Uh, it also hit a lot of, I'm going to bring it up a million times, I think Spider-Man gets his strength from other people. That that when he's when he's not selfish, when Aunt May and Mary Jane were in danger in the first movie, that's when that's when he got his strength. When Mary Jane was kidnapped, these movies totally don't pass the Bechdel test. All right, when Mary Jane was kidnapped in the second film, that's when he got his powers back. That's when he found his 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 purpose. Yeah, that's pretty much all the, all the, yeah. all the examples uh, I mean, uh, from the I movies. I would compare him to the biggest villain, the best one, I think, of the whole 
all Spider-Man films, Doc Ock. Yeah. Like, Doc Ock is probably one of the best villains in a comic book film. Uh, he's not just your typical evil bad guy. He's intelligent. Uh, you feel sorry for him. I think he has a really interesting arc in that film. And he's dangerous. He's really, you know, a scary threat. He, he forces Spider-Man to, to be his very best, you know, and sometimes it's very worst. And I thought he was definitely probably the best villain. Uh, I don't think Vulture was better than him, but I think, he, you know, he was definitely up there with better than Venom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, better than Topher Grace Venom. Or other Green Goblin versions. <laughs> well, that's, well that's, that's, I think, what we love about villains is that they could bring out that best, the best part of a hero. And that's and that's really what the vulture, the vulture did in this, uh, because you're a 15 year old kid. You're going to pick your girl up on a date. You're nervous enough meeting her father. Now you find out her father is your greatest enemy, and only you know who he is, and you can take him down. Now you find out he pulls a Glock out on you after he drops the daughter off at the dance and says, "I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family." Like, as a 15-year-old kid, how do you stand up to that? It's a lot of pressure. Exactly. It's very scary. Yeah, but he, you know, he brought out that, that Spider-Man. It, it was a good move on their part because I think it was very personal. And Vulture's not your most high-profile villain, you know? Like, no, not at all. This is my favorite version of the Vulture. Oh, which, by far. Which doesn't say much because I never fucking cared about the Vulture. <laughs> never. <laughs> he, he was, you know, he was part of the Sinister Six, I believe. Yes, but he was never the top guy. He was never the guy that you you read a comic like, oh my god, the Vulture's back. Fuck yeah, this is gonna be great, <laughs> you know. And he was never the top villain. And people, I think, when they announced the Vulture, were a little bit like, uh, yeah, no. they did a good job of him. They made him relevant, and uh, I think it, it worked for this version of Spider Man. So, speaking of the fact that you mentioned that he's still alive and he can be brought back. Tony has this moment in the film where he tells Peter, I want you to be better than me. And I think Peter really does do that. Because although he creates some problems, like I said, he leaves his guy alive. Because he sees him as a person, as a father, as a human being, as someone who's just, who, who, who's, who's, has good intentions but went the wrong way about it. He actually doesn't just leave him alive, he saves him. He, I mean, goes he goes out of yep. his way to save Puts him. himself in danger. Tony would have let him die. Yep. Tony might have even killed him. Like, that's the thing. That's, and Captain America, too. Captain America's a soldier. Uh, I think any of those, they all grew up as fighters. But that's not Peter. Peter never grew up as a fighter. He grew up as a person. And he grew up, I can't say it enough times, with that idea of that responsibility. Also, I'm not sure if a lot of people made this connection, but... When Peter was going to that party, what was the thing that Ned really wanted him to do? Oh, come as Spider-Man. To come as Spider-Man. And Peter was very hesitant about it, right? Absolutely. He didn't want to abuse it, right? He said, this isn't what Spider-Man's for. Meanwhile, in Iron Man 2, Tony does that very thing. He brings out his suit and uses it as a party trick, which I thought was a, it's, it's a great comparison. You could just see the two, that, that they're both... Uh, that they're both these, these, these smart individuals who grow up under very different circumstances. And the only difference is that Tony became Iron Man as an adult, so he still has all of his flaws with him. Peter, at 15, has time to iron those kinks out. Uh, I like that idea. And also, it also shows an innocence to us, right, that we, that we haven't seen in the other Spider-Man films before. 
And if you look earlier on in the Spider-Man comics, when does he finally start killing people? Like, I don't know exactly, but I think Green Goblin is one of the big ones. Because not only is one of your enemies dead, but it's also your, your best friend's father now. And, and that is that loss of innocence for Peter. They've never made, I, I think, killing for Spider-Man an easy thing. The few times it's ever happened, I think it weighs heavily on him uh, and on the people around him, which is, like you said, very different than a lot of the other Marvel heroes. They're soldiers, they kill, they, you know, they don't have a problem with it. But he, I think, always will have that. Maybe it's thinking, you know, I lost my, my uncle, someone who really meant something to me. What if I take someone else's loved one away? You know, and I think that's always in the back of his head. Well, that's great. And, and also, what about just, he is the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. As a soldier, Captain America, you're trained to see the big picture. You're trained to to see, okay, uh, if I have to get, to, if I want to get to this one place, I'm gonna have to kill this guy to get there. Clint Barton, Natasha Romanoff, both uh, assassins by career, so they're fine with killing people. Uh, Thor, the son of Odin, he's grown up as a god. He doesn't have a problem with killing a couple of mortals. Tony sold weapons his entire life and killed a bunch of people, and at this point, it's kind of like, oh, it's just what you have to do, but. Peter's down there. He's he's the little guy. He sees other people as the little guy, and and it, it it takes a lot to to take a life. And I love that that Peter represents that, and that in the movies when he finally is brought to that that point where he has to take a life, you know it's not going to be done lightly. You know that it, it's it's going to be a big maturing point for Spider Man. It's going to take a a, a piece of him. Another thing that I loved was that because he kept his villain alive, he helped save his own life in a way. Because the vulture, uh, you remember uh, Mac Gargan, the scorpion, came to him in jail and he was like, hey, you know, I heard you know who he is. Uh, you know, let's go get him. Let's get his family and stuff like that. And the vulture knows what he did for him. He saved his own life. And in doing so, his, you know, his kid's not going to grow up without a father now. Although the father will be in jail and they're going to be uprooted, uh, but but he looked out for his family, and so the vulture also looks out for Peter's family. So that's how you took it. So I've I've been reading up on this scene in particular. Okay, and a lot of people are very mixed on it. Really? Sure, yeah. Some people feel like he wants to settle the score himself. Uh, that's a possibility. The argument that you gave. I mean, Matt Gargan is kind of a really low street level scumbag until right? he gets his scorpion costume. Yeah, and I feel like maybe Vulture doesn't want to go that route. I mean, you know, I think I agree with you. I think that's probably why he did it, but I think there could be an argument made for other reasons as well. Absolutely. One 100% I agree with that. We saw some connections to the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I thought were were very fun. Uh in the background of his high school, you saw the scientific minds that were on the wall because it is a science school, and we saw uh the guy that gave Captain America his powers. Uh, we saw uh, Howard Stark. We also got to see some Captain America PSAs. How did you feel about those? I thought they were hysterical. I mean, you know, this movie is definitely a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. They didn't try to dance around that. I mean, Tony Stark was in it. They introduced Spider-Man in Civil War. I think this was a great way to keep it Spider-Man's film, but still have a couple of fun cameos. And they were great. I mean, they were just funny. They they really added a lot to to the humor. It was an awesome addition. I thought I I thought it was great too, and I think that it really helped flush out the cinematic universe too, because you know uh, Ned is talking to Peter, and he's like 
He's like, oh my God, that's Captain America. They know Captain America as an American hero in their world. He's not a comic book character. He's not just a legend because now he's thought out. He's a real person and he's a hero. And he was like, oh, you met him? He's like, yeah, I actually fought him. I stole his shield. Or uh, did you notice that in one of the classes they were learning about the Sokovia Accords? Yes. yes yeah, so and I was like, oh, shit. Because yeah. now that's their history. That, that's part of it. it it's, it's great to just see how it affects. Yeah. And it's the same for 9-11 for us. You know, it, these are the things that happen to them, to these normal people who are living in a world with gods and superheroes and monsters. And, you know, they it's become normal for them. Yeah. And I also think it's funny how the PSAs were a little dated. You know, they, yes, they of still course. manage to make it. Like a PSA we'd actually get in school or it's like, oh, hey, kids, you know. Uh, and they even <laughs> recorded it in his old costume yes. from when he was first thought out. So that was great. Yep. Uh, that was good. Uh, Hannibal Burris is lying. I think he's a war criminal now. But I guess I got to show you this video. <laughs> I thought that that was great. That was great. So the next order of business is this is probably the most diverse Spider-Man film we've seen. And in general, it's one of the more diverse mm-hmm films we've seen especially with the cinematic universe uh how do you feel about that i thought it was great i think it it, it again shows uh you know how where we've come well you actually went to school and where were you floral park yes floral park is on long island but it's it's kind of close to queens what was the what was the ethnic makeup like when you went to floral park uh it was a long time ago but it was a little more mixed um there were plenty of white people but there were also a lot of black people i mean one best friends growing up was was a black guy uh who lived you know just a couple of houses down from me um i remember we went to high school and it was pretty pretty diverse i mean when i moved to northport it was pretty culture shock for me to see so many white people yeah <laughs> and, and really not much else and that took a little getting used to uh so yeah i mean i think it was great to have a diverse diverse group of kids Especially, it seemed like a very smart group of kids, and they weren't just trying to be like, hey, look, it's only the white guys are making it to the cool kids club. Yeah, I really like that. Did, did you think it was forced at all? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it felt natural to me. They, they weren't trying to make a big deal out of it. They weren't like, hey, you know, some of you kids aren't white. They just they were just kids who just have any different colors. Uh, yes, and I agree as well. Uh, a lot of people think that making a more diverse cast is trying too hard. That they're like, oh, you know, look, they made Flash Thompson brown and, and they're making, uh, you know, this person black and they're making his best friend an Asian kid. But really, I was looking at the film and I noticed, I was looking in the background, there was a Muslim girl wearing a hijab during gym class and, and, and there, were, there was such diversity and at no point did it, did it feel unnatural at all. It's gotten to the point that now if I watch a, a show or a movie and I see a cast that's, too white i'm like this is really weird because it's not what the world is uh anywhere you you go if you if you just take a a train into new york city and take one square block there's so many different kinds of people there that's key i mean new york's you know the melting pot right so you have all these different people and they never made like we said earlier they never made it about their race and never made it about religion or anything like that it was just kids and they just happened to be different colors uh they were in the school together they were in this club together and they, they never really needed to bring that up and I, I think they did it in a smart way yeah uh one other bit of uh, uh social awareness that i thought was fun was uh michelle who we later learned turns out to be mj uh she was uh what did she say she was like oh uh will i have time to get in some light protesting 
And the the debate club guy, he's like, he's like, oh, I like that. Protesting's patriotic. I thought that was a good little thing to sneak in there. Yeah. And they were like, oh, you don't want to celebrate in front of the Washington Monument? She's like, I don't like celebrating in front of something that was built by slaves. Uh, <laughs> I just I thought I was a good a good to just sh- show the social awareness of today's generation. In addition to the ethnic diversity, I think we can also talk about the body type diversity. I thought it was awesome that Ned Leeds was a fat kid that was in a lead role. And in a way, he kind of stole the show. I thought that that he was a very good foil for Peter Parker, that they worked off of each other uh, very well. Uh, they didn't make a lot of jokes like he was eating all the time or anything. Uh, I, I, I think that they, they even mention it in um, Ultimate Spider-Man. Brian Michael Bendis brings it up when uh, the X-Man Gold Balls comes into their, into their high school. And Miles' best friend is like, oh, you know... Yeah, wow, I want to meet him. We never get to meet a fat superhero or something like that. And maybe uh, Ned's will go into more of an active role at some point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I, I, I thought that that was great because it isn't just about ethnic diversity. You have so many different people with so many different body types, and they all bring something to the table because of who they are as characters. Now, do you think they did that for that reason, or did they just take Ultimate Spider-Man's best friend and put it into there? Both. Okay. Well, I think uh, now Ultimate Spider-Man's uh, best friend. His name isn't Ned, though, is it? No, it's it's a uh, Gank or Genki. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Jeez. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, he's he's Miles Morales' best friend, not Peter Parker's. Though this... the character Ned Leeds is one of Peter's friends from high school, though. But they just took one dude's character and then gave him a different dude's name, and that's what created Ned Leeds. Kind of interesting how they did that. Yeah. Uh, one one thing to just uh, close off on the on the diversity part of it was uh, I did look into what kind of high school uh, it would have been. I think uh, he went to uh, Midtown High School for the sciences. He went to a private school, which Peter normally doesn't do because he and his aunt have lots of financial troubles. But maybe Uncle Ben got killed and they were left with a pretty sweet life insurance policy. Who knows? The actual school that. Uh, Tom Holland went to in order to prepare for this role is a real high school known as the Bronx High School of Science. And it is a private school based in the sciences. Percentage-wise, we're looking at 33% of the students there are white, 6% are black, 8% are Hispanic, and 54% are Asian or other. We have to remember that Asian doesn't just mean Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, uh, Thai. Asian can also mean South Asian, which is where we start talking about like Pakistani and uh, and you know people that are more of, of a of a brown skin tone. That 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 that's the majority of that school. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize that that, that terminology also applies to them. I think it's an American thing to say, you know, Arab or Middle Eastern yes. instead of Asian. Even if they're not from the Middle East, but they're from the South, uh, South Asian. Uh, because I don't know about how lost you get in Facebook comment threads because sometimes I just can't help it but see how stupid people are. <laughs> but they'll be like, oh, look, they, they, they made Flash Thompson brown. Look at them trying to, uh, trying to appeal to this and be politically correct, which isn't even a real thing. Uh, but honestly... There should have been a lot more brown people in the film. Technically, they're like they're just being accurate. You don't want to. The, the thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that, aside from the gods and superpowers, you feel like it's something that could actually happen. They're they're very aware of things that are happening 
in our world. Star Wars exists in their world, right? Could they have just also cast the guy who did the best job at the role? I mean, sometimes it's not even down to what color skin he was. Maybe they just had an open casting, didn't care what color the person was. They picked the guy they thought did the best job. I mean, people don't think about that. Sometimes that's what they do. They do an open casting. Don't worry about the color. They just choose who does the best job. Well, that's actually what happened with uh, David Oyelowo in Interstellar, the guy who was stuck on the ship for like 27 years, which was Matthew McConaughey's three hours on that water planet. Uh, it was between him and Ryan Gosling. Wow. Yeah, and they ended up going with him because they just liked him better as an actor. So that's also a strong possibility. Do an open casting and cast whoever, whoever fits the role. The high school that Peter goes to was based off of Forest Hills High School, which I ended up doing some research on that as well. And it turns out that 30.1% of the students are white, 33.7% of the students are Hispanic, 24.7% are Asian, 9.5% black, 1.4% identify as two races, 0.7% are American Indian. And 0% are Pacific Islander. At 33.7% of the population being Hispanic, they make up the largest segment of the student body at Forest Hills High School. A typical school in Forest Hills is made up of 26.6% Hispanic students. So Forest Hills High School has a similar ethnic distribution compared to other schools in the city. That was a huge complaint that I saw coming out when they saw the casting. Everyone just thought like, oh, they're trying to put people of different colors into this movie just to make the social justice warriors happy and stuff, but no. It's, why, why is it even a thing? It's in Queen. Well, because that's, that's what people like to point at. They're like, oh, my Flash Thompson, minor character that no one gives a fuck about is white. Why doesn't, you know, why, why can't my, my, you know, why does this Flash Thompson have to be brown? Why does Mary, why does uh, Zendaya have to be Mary Jane, even though she is, but she isn't. That was a whole thing. But we're just talking about when, when the when the casting choices came out. I think if it doesn't change the character in some way, then it's. Okay. I had a problem with the with the Human Torch being black in the remake of Fantastic Four. Did you see it yet? I didn't. I decided not to. <laughs> but when I heard about the casting, it was just because I, I thought that it was going to change the dynamic between him and, and Sue Storm. I mean, I heard the movie was awful, so it never really mattered in the end, I guess. But it really yeah. fell apart in the last act. I, I, I thought it was solid before that. Nah. <laughs> Josh Trank had a much better film planned. But yeah, I, I feel like if it doesn't change who the character is, then it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Absolutely. And if you're doing a, a movie that's set in Queens, it only makes sense to, to have a bunch of different people in it. That unless you're like doing a get out style film where the majority are white and they're all planning on attacking the one black guy. Uh, just because a big part of the film was, that I brought up was also that it is a private school, not a public school. I started to wonder, well, what is Peter's situation as far as financial goes? Because that was usually a big problem for them. Peter was not only a nerd, he was not only uh, terrible at athletic things, but he was also poor uh meanwhile aunt may ruins a meatloaf in this movie and she's like oh let's just go out to thai like what they just go out to food like that which i know isn't the biggest thing nowadays but but still that would have been something that normally would have been a a struggle for them it was never very clear cut where they stood financially i felt you know you didn't really know they could have gone into a little bit more yeah they could have and 
I don't think it added or taken took away. It was just different from the Spider-Man I know, and that's and that's the only comparison I'm making. However, there are some socioeconomic details of the Forest Hills High School students. Forest Hills being the school that Peter's uh, that that Midtown High is based off of. Turns out, fifty-three point nine percent of the students there are eligible for free lunch. Ten percent are eligible for reduced lunch, and thirty-six point two percent are ineligible for either of those. But that means that uh, the majority of that school is eligible for some sort of aid because they fall below that line uh, financially. So this was a little different to see Peter and his peers in a private school where that's clearly not the case. I just thought it was an interesting thing uh, there because usually that is a big part of Peter Parker. For example, he always feels like he has to get a job to help out Aunt May and to... And to uh, buy that car for Mary Jane. No, that was a, a wrestling thing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, he, he's, he's always doing something to try and help out. But here that didn't really seem to be an issue for him. He just went straight to the Stark internship, quote-unquote, after school. Do you think that it has anything to do with Aunt May's age, though, as well? I mean, Aunt May's usually an elderly woman who probably can't really hold the job or can't hold a very labor-intensive job or many hours, whereas this one's obviously, you know, she's working class, she's young, she she can have a career. I think that could play into it a little bit as well. That's very true. Yeah, she she absolutely, she probably has her own career. And so that's not something that Peter has to worry about yet. One thing you wanted to talk about was the MJ reveal. Yes. How did you feel about it and why? I was not a fan at all. Okay. Uh, for multiple reasons. First of which, it felt very similar to the Dark Knight Rises reveal. Of <laughs> a Robin, Robin reveal. Which, you know, was very, very frustrating to me as a huge fan of uh, Dick Grayson and the Robins. And it just felt totally unnecessary. And so did this. I mean, she was a, a good character. I thought she was interesting. I wanted to know more about her. She's obviously going to be in the sequel. And then it needed to be put in there. And then I read some interviews. She's not Mary Jane, right? So she's not the MJ. I'm a little confused on where they're going with this. Uh, I don't care if MJ is white or not, but I think that one thing they need to nail is she's a knockout, right? She's Her thing is she's a stunner. She's a model. She's way out of Peter's league, and somehow he still gets her. And that's what I always loved about his relationship with Mary Jane was that he got the girl who he should have never had. Uh, you know, she's drop-dead gorgeous, shiny red hair, Go get him, Tiger. I mean, she's just someone that you would never expect to be with him. And he does get her. Whereas this version of MJ, if that's where they're going with it, is... That makes sense. They're both on the debate club together. (laughs) Or the... Oh, what... They're not not debate club. I should stop calling it that. What is it? uh, Decathletes or something? No, wait. Academic decathlon. Yeah, Yeah, she's kind of like this, this outsider... She wants to protest. She's dissociated teen and totally everything. Totally the opposite of what Mary Jane is. Yeah. So hopefully Which, that's not where they're going, in my opinion. That's another Ultimate Spider-Man thing, though. In the Ultimate Spider-Man universe, MJ was a nerd. Yes. Not yes. a model like she is in the normal uh, 616. So It's a little odd to me that they're combining Ultimate and regular things here. And it almost feels like Miles' story with Peter Parker. Yeah, it's I could little, see that. It's a little weird sometimes. Which... Uh, Hope they're going to be putting in Miles, obviously. Yeah, nice uh, reference to him there, which was great. Yes, Donald Glover is his uncle. Very subtle, because I feel like anyone who hasn't read it would have no idea. I didn't. Right? I didn't get it until um, 
because like I know his uncle is a villain, but I didn't know who it was. I didn't know what his name was. So I caught I caught other things like Matt Gargan being the 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 scorpion. I was like, oh, I know who that is. But yeah, that was something that I missed until it was brought up uh, listening to a review, and I was like, oh shit, that's right. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing Miles put in there. Hopefully after Peter has at least a movie and a half under him or something, that way he could be more of a, a mentor role to Miles. I mean, I think they're setting it up for way in the future. The way they made it seem was that Miles is still a young kid. And I mean, Peter in the comics is, is significantly older, uh, you know, especially in the, in the regular Marvel Universe. I think that they're, they're waiting so that years down the line they can use him if they need to. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of which... Miles, obviously, is uh, he's a, a person of color, he's black, he's Hispanic, and he's a Spider-Man in the Ultimate Universe. And he's a really great character. Great he's character. a really good Spider-Man. I had seen something online where it was the opposite of what I was talking about before. There were people that were like, oh, why do you have to have so many different types of people in these movies? Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to please? But I saw the opposite saying that they didn't go far enough. Where they were like, this is one of the most diverse Spider-Man films ever. But why are all the main characters still white? Aunt May, Peter Parker, the Vulture, they're all still white. Why can't we have a black Peter Parker? How would you feel, and you could take some time to think about this because it's a very loaded question, how would you feel about a black Peter Parker in a cinematic sense? It's a tough one. I, I, I've said previously here that if it, doesn't change who the character is, uh, then you can do it. So maybe they could have pulled it off. I mean, I think they they were trying to find the best actor for the role, and if Tom Holland was the best actor, then that's what they did. But uh, that's a tough one because they do they do have a Spider Man of color. So do you need a Spider Man that's not white if you already have another one that they could have later? In maybe the that would have taken away from Miles. It might have because that was a really big thing for Miles. I think when they announced him, people were really shocked and to being an amazing character it's it's another hero of color for people out there so i i don't know i'm not sure how i feel about it to be honest with you no that's and uh, it's it's not an easy question to answer because as white men we see ourselves in every white hero of course and yet we still have the ability to appreciate heroes that aren't white or aren't men so that's awesome i think that subconsciously we grew up with our spider-man being white and so that is something that, that our Peter Parker being white, that is something that would be a bit of a shock to us. But I had mentioned in a previous podcast that there's literally nothing about Peter Parker's story that makes it exclusively a white person story. Um, you know, he's a he's an underprivileged kid growing up within a broken family. OK, uh, <laughs> that, that, you know, that that could be that could be anyone's story, especially a person of color, especially a minority. Uh, the one thing I would say is that I don't think you could have Spider-Man Homecoming. I'm out of that. this out later because I might say something defensive. But I don't think you could have a Spider-Man Homecoming with a black Peter Parker necessarily. Why? Because he'd deal with all the problems of being black before dealing with all the problems of being Spider-Man. Um, this is Miles? I don't know. I haven't read enough of Ultimate Spider-Man. And Miles does. I mean, you know, it, it comes up a little bit, but I, I don't think so. I think his, his first... Miles has two parents, though, right? He did. 
<laughs> oh, dude, spoilers. <laughs> what, what, you know, what I read, he still at least had two parents, but um, I don't know. It's a really tough topic to talk about. It is a tough topic to talk about. I, I, don't, I don't know. I think what you said hit it right on the head. We grew up with a white Spider-Man. We're white. I think we've seen a little bit of ourselves in Spider-Man growing up, and we would like to keep seeing that. So having a white Spider-Man, we can relate a lot easier. Subconsciously. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't mean that like but the the another thing is at this point we've seen so many iterations of these characters that if i see batman v superman i didn't like how this type of batman was it's an elseworld story for me they're all elseworld stories so i can see an elseworld story with a black peter parker i'd like to see an elseworld story with a black batman because part of me thinks that he'd never put on the fucking mask Part of me thinks that he'd be like, all right well let's fix the infrastructure of gotham city and start helping the underprivileged and stuff like that you know, because Bruce Wayne is a privileged white man. And I think... It, I mean, it, well, now you're, are you saying that he's not the same person? Is he still Bruce Wayne, just black? Or is he another person that becomes Batman? I think your ethnicity changes... Oh, no, it would be Bruce Wayne, but black. You know, but I, I think that I think that ethnicity does change a character. Maybe not a lot, but it changes their experience. It changes how they function in the world and how the world functions with them. Putting all those very heavy topics behind us and what was supposed to be a very lighthearted review, what was your overall impression of the film? Are you looking forward to, to more of that Spider-Man in the future? Absolutely. I can't wait for the sequel. I think uh, as good as this film was, they can now make an even better one. Uh, they've really established Tom Holland as, as Spider-Man. Uh, they didn't do a lot of setting up for future Marvel films, though. You know, Spider-Man, yeah, but usually you get that post-credit teaser for Infinity War or something along those lines. They didn't do that. They didn't go that route, and they really made it just a Spider-Man film. And, uh, I mean, that's okay. I think I think it's a little old after a while. It gets tiresome. I, mean, I think That's true that they're all connected somehow. Like At this are. point, you could make a, a feature-length film of all the post-credits <laughs> and how they all add up and how yeah. they all lead to the Infinity War to lead to the next film. I right? think it was enough having Tony Stark in it. And I mean, what I've been thinking about is there's been a lot of really solid Marvel movies. Um, but this one seems to be standing out a little bit more for people. It stands alone. Doctor Strange was a great film. I think almost everyone enjoyed it. People don't talk about it anymore. It's very forgettable. But Spider-Man, I think people are going to remember. And I think it's because they made it its own thing. That's a, that's a really good way to put it. I don't think I could, I could say anything better than that. Uh, I do like that they didn't set it up for the next one because the thing about Spider-Man, once again, is that he's always handling things that are too big for him. If they don't put that post-credit scene in, then it's going to be a total surprise to see how he's brought into the Infinity War. Like, there wasn't like, oh, it turns out that uh, this whole time he shat Infinity Stones and that's how he's a part of it. He's not even an Avenger at the end. He, he, no, he's he not. It. He turned down the Avenger ship. The Avenger job. Though we don't really know where the Avengers are at because most of them are on the run with Captain America. There's like Vision and Tony Stark, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, you've got Tony Stark and Vision. So they really needed Spider-Man for that And conference. half of War Machine? Oh, jeez. <laughs> too soon, man, too soon. Um, uh, yeah, my, uh, my overall impression of the film is, once again, I, I can't wait for the sequel. I enjoyed it. I have some criticisms. Once again, it's just not the Spider-Man that I, I'm 100% familiar with. But in a way, I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses. Because 
And the next one, he's not just going to be that sophomore. Uh, he's going to have a lot more. He's going to be a junior. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's going to be Spider-Man Wait till, wait till he's junior. a senior, man. That's going oh, to be, gonna be nuts. Uh, but also, just think about how he's going to get a lot more schoolwork and everything, and he's going to have to choose whether to live that life and to and to keep up with his friends. Because in this, Ned didn't give a fuck that he was that that he kept leaving him and ditching him because he knew he was Spider Man. Another big part of Spider Man is he keeps leaving the people that are important to him, and because he loves them so much, he can never tell them why. Yes. And what's Aunt May going to do now? She knows that he's Spider Man. Oh, wow, we, we didn't even discuss that ending. Right? <laughs> she goes, the, what the fuck? <laughs> great. Hysterical. Oh, it was so good. Great ending. <laughs> was so good. Yeah, that's a big one, too. I mean, I believe in the comics, she didn't find out either ever or for a very long time, depending on what they retcon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, depending on the storyline. I remember there was one storyline where she was close to dying, as she usually is, sometimes by illness, sometimes just because she's fucking old. And uh, and Peter had come to her and she said like that she's known that he was Spider Man for a long time. Well, we're gonna be seeing a lot more of Tom Holland. I think I said that he. I'm looking a forward to it. Picture deal, mm-hmm. and he's only 19 or 20 now. I mean, he's a young guy. They can use him for a long time. He's got two movies under his belt now, uh, between Civil War and Spider Man. He's gonna be in Infinity, uh, and I think he can be the face of Marvel. I think that's a great idea because we know Tony Stark, uh, Robert Downey Jr. doesn't have too same many. person. Yeah, basically <laughs> one and the same. Doesn't this have point. too much left. Uh, he's getting up there in age. He's asking for a lot of money, uh, and he yeah, you can't keep throwing the Downey bucks. And same with uh, with Captain America. I mean, uh, Chris Evans has said that he's want to he wants to pursue directing, and you know, and let's get Bucky <laughs> into oh, that. I think that's where uh, I think Marvel's really smart. Put they're those wings on his helmet. Ahead. You know, they, they have Bucky now. I think they're going to put him as Captain America eventually. They have uh, Captain Marvel they have Captain coming Marvel. out. Yep. They have a very young Spider-Man. Uh, they've got Black Panther, Doctor Strange. Oh, that's true. I mean, they, Chris Pratt is an incredible uh, as Star-Lord, and he's, what, in his 30s, I think? So they, yeah. they're banking on him definitely carrying them for a while as well. So. Yeah, well, I mean... I. I think a lot of it is just contract wise and create and creativity. They we were talking about it before when they said that Affleck's going to be out of Batman because he's getting old soon. I think that's bullshit. We're going to find out a couple years from now that's not what it was because yeah. you and I were talking about it. We live in the golden age of CGI. Doesn't matter if you're 50, 60, 70 or dead, you can be put in a movie. Would they have cast him in the first place if they thought he was going to be too old 3 years later to do the films? No. They- there's definitely something going on. I mean, there's a lot of creative problems there too. You yeah, know, they're not using. They're the trying to scrap anymore. the script. He's not directing it. I mean, obviously, there's some stuff going on behind the scenes. WB does, uh, or right? It's WB. Right? Yeah, one of those. They do not have their stuff together, whereas Marvel obviously does. And it, there's a key difference when you look at the two. I think they're just trying to figure out where to go with those films, whereas Marvel is always planning ahead. They are twenty steps ahead. They have their movies slated years in advance they know where they're going they got big names in their cast you don't really hear a lot of issues i mean i think joss whedon said he was exhausted by Avengers, yeah but other than that you, you hear pretty good things coming out of, out of the people who work with i think Marvel. that was another thing that they learned their lesson from too though they learned their lesson from uh from iron man 3 from age of ultron that it's not about putting too so many things in and making it as epic as possible because dc has done the same thing like think about suicide squad 
You have a bunch of faceless villains that are being taken out by a bunch of ragtag heroes that nobody thought would work well together. And there's a floating pile of garbage in the sky and a portal leading to another world. And it, I think Marvel wants to have something that can't be replicated like that. And so they went back and they have Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which is a story all on its own. It doesn't connect to the Infinity storyline. Yeah, it's just yeah. its own thing. And they did it well. They have Spider-Man, which is on an even smaller scale. And they did it well. And, uh, you know, Mar- Marvel has realized that, uh, what they need to do. They keep moving in that direction. And just like you said, they're planning ahead and they're planning very well. And I think Homecoming was great, man. I, I personally have been getting a little fatigued from, from comic book movies. I mean, there's so many things. It's a saturated out. market. There's A lot of them have very similar feels and themes. And I think Homecoming was a, was a breath of fresh air. And it, it reinvigorated it for me. Uh, and I'm excited now for, for what's going to happen next. I really am. Well, yeah, I um, I, I know I've spoken to you about this before, but it it did bring to life Spider-Man, and not it didn't create a new Spider-Man in order to do it. They even used the same score from the old TV series, right? And they and they did it, and it worked well with the movie. They brought in the uh, the Amazing Spider-Man thirty three, one of my favorite keys where he's covered by all that uh, machinery and 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 everything is against him and he can't possibly lift it and he still has to find a way to do it. I really wish they would have waited a little bit for it, yeah. but they did it. In the comic, it was a little more, once again, it was another thing where he was like, oh, I was responsible for Uncle Ben's death. I'm not going to be responsible for Aunt May's. And in that case, he lifted it up. In this case, he was doing it because he had to become Spider-Man. He said, if you're nothing without the suit, you don't deserve it. Which, on a side note, that's an awesome lesson that Tony learned in Iron Man 3. Most of the movie, he wasn't even in the suit, and he was still able to get shit done. Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, they, they, they did give us this Spider-Man, and I just can't stop thinking about that issue, Amazing Spider-Man 33, where in the, in the back of, that, of those brown, brittle pages... You can smell the oxidation. You could smell the history on it. The 33rd issue that came out in the 60s, they didn't even know that it was going to be a big thing. It was Steve Ditko and Stan Lee working on a book together, and people were writing into them and saying, hey, you know, maybe one day you could have a Marvel hour where every week there would be a different Marvel superhero on TV, on the boob tube. That's what the guy said. And Stan Lee said, oh, well... I don't know if we should call it the boob tube. They might not let us. I don't think we'll get that big. And now it is, it's is—it's been bought by Disney Marvel. It is, Marvel is known by everyone worldwide. And Spider-Man is known by everyone worldwide. And he's a character that, in a lot of ways, everyone can relate to. And overall, I think the film spoke to that. I'm looking forward to see where they go with the character. And uh, I I have no doubts that they're going to do it justice. And if they don't, well, they can just reboot it again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Fourth time's a charm, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Um, any final thoughts other than that? No, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think we hit on all the major points. It was a really good film. Uh, you know, hopefully we get a really solid sequel. And... Uh, Gains the quality. Awesome. I mean, I, maybe if they do a couple of years and he's in senior year of high school, next film, I won't complain. They're not, though. They already announced it. 
It's going to be like every year. All right. Well, there better be some consequences because he didn't even get suspended. Do you think they're going to have the Daily Bugle in the next one? Um, a little photography from Peter. I could see him being a blogger. Maybe he has to do a vlog. Yeah. Maybe something media-based I would like. But like you said, Spider-Man has moved forward with this current generation. And I think they're going to keep doing that. So they'll find something that works. That It might not be a newspaper he's taking photos for. But it might be a blog. It might be a BuzzFeed yeah, or something yeah. like that. Uh, just like sometimes it, it feels out of place if you don't do that. Just like in Man of Steel or Batman v Superman. Why the fuck is he still working for a newspaper? <laughs> like it just you know it does. there are still newspapers where <laughs> there, there there are some still newspapers but uh but uh yeah I, I think they should they should throw in the daily bugle in the next one i want to see peter get a job i want to see him struggle just a little bit more because the worst part is it is not always the struggles as spider-man it's also the struggles as peter that make this, this shitty job you shouldn't want to be spider-man and yet he has to do it until then, uh, we, we've talked about a lot today, talked about our love for the character. We've talked about the, the social and political climate surrounding the film and, and how it spoke to that. Uh, and I thank you very much for being here to do it with me. Thanks for yeah. having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, hopefully you'll be able to come on with a, a lot of other ones. Tyler, I mean Ty, uh, has a, a wealth of film and comic book and pop culture knowledge. Some of it even puts me to shame, so I'm hoping to have him on a lot more episodes. Uh, I'll just come up with a topic, I'll get the data, and then you, <laughs> you know, you'll be like, oh, well, I know all about this. Perfect. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, until next time, I've been Mike Booch, and this has been my guest. Hi. Thanks, guys. No matter what you're watching, no matter what you're reading, no matter what type of media you're taking in, never stop thinking. Never stop learning and read between the lines. The Politipop Podcast is recorded before no studio audience and is written and produced by Mike Booch. Special thanks to Antonia Little for logo design. Reach out to us on Twitter at Politipop Pod. Send your thoughts and suggestions to politipopcast at gmail.com and check our show notes and sources out by visiting politipoppodcast.wordpress.com. Man, that's a mouthful. Lastly, rate and review us on iTunes to let us know what you think of the show. As a special thanks for listening, stick around for some post-credit outtakes. How now, brown cow? How now, brown cow? <clears throat> I got some. Peter Oops. Piper the pickled pepper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Peter Piper, Peter Piper the pickled pepper picker picked a peck of pickled peppers. Peter penis pickled. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Time. <laughs> okay. Your friendly neighborhood tie. Hey guys. Him, there you go. One more time with that. Give him a nice little hello, tie. Hey guys. Perfect. I'm gonna edit that other shit out. Okay. <clears throat> right. Uh speaking of learning lessons, do you think that compared to the other Spider Man stories, they've learned a lesson and has it shown in this film? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is Marvel's first attempt at doing a Spider-Man film. And I think they saw what... Just made... look at me. Why can't you just <laughs> look at me dirty? <laughs> you're right, bro. You're looking away from me right Spider-Man. now. Spider-Man. <laughs>
still looking over in the distance. Let me tell you about Spider-Man. He's on that stand. The tragedy. <clears throat> Speaking of... <laughs> okay, you're fucking me. I just look the board. You can if you want. <laughs> Speaking of learning lessons. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that with this new Spider-Man story... I need to look at you now. All right, fine. All right. Do you think that with this new story... <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a casual. That was good. Was that was cash. good. That was good. Was that was fine. Do you think with the new Spider-Man story... <laughs> we never get this shit done. It's been, it's been quite the adventure. All right. I'm Do you good. like the fucking story? <laughs> Do you think that based on this story, they've done a better job in the previous films? Like, uh, have they learned the lesson from those films? And in what way? <laughs> Why are you laughing again, Jim? <laughs> Don't I say learn that lesson? Oh, God. Oh, shit. I'm going to laugh my ass off. Listen, the fucking last last movie sucked. What do you think? Do you think that compared to the other films, this movie stacks up? Do you think it's better? Do you think that they've learned their lesson from the previous films? 